Shabbat Shalom and welcome again. Um, I might redo the announcements at the end, but welcome to everybody in Facebook land and YouTube land. And here we are, um, approaching Passover season, Pesach, although we have a little ways to go yet, but it's always good to start to think about it. And traditionally, you know, um, Ash Wednesday coming up and Lent coming up, which has been, you know, ancient Christian practices of getting ready for Holy Week. And um, so with that in mind, we're going to do a little teaching called the glory of freedom. And this is going to be a combination, of course, like everything else of passages from the Tanakh and passages from the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah. And Paul, really? I'm sure it is. And Paul, of course, who was Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee, who was more zealous for the law than anyone else, was advancing in Judaism more than anyone else. How do we know that? Because he tells us in Philippians chapter 3. Then he tells us that compared to knowing Christ, compared to knowing Yeshua, compared to knowing Messiah, he counted all that as loss. He was one of the most brilliant people who lived and was did nothing but study in the temple from the time of his bar mitzvah till the day of the road to Damascus. Studied under Gamaliel, who was the premier rabbi of the time. And after his experience on the road, he becomes the apostle of grace and the apostle to the Gentiles. Pharisees didn't generally do that kind of thing. <laughs> he wouldn't have come anywhere near a Gentile in his Pharisee days. I like to think that I read some years ago where um, a lot of people who, who do church history and so forth think that Paul was about eight years younger than Yeshua. So that he was, you know, Jesus was eight years older. So if Paul went to, if Saul of Tarsus went to the temple at Bar Mitzvah age, say 13, Yeshua would have been 21 at the time. He was always at the temple, and then he became this high-power Pharisee. And, of course, he wouldn't have even noticed Jesus and that sorry bunch of guys walking around because they would have – all they did was look down their nose at Galileans, and they, they couldn't stand all that. But I like to think that they passed each other once in a while in the courtyard, and Saul wouldn't have even noticed them. He would have just walked by. And Yeshua would have just chuckled, saying, hmm, little does he know what's going to happen in a few years. Where's Jordan? And, and of course, apostle of grace, apostle of the Gentiles. So read Philippians 3 for your homework. So we're going to go to Galatians. Now, Galatians and Romans are kind of, I don't want to say parallel books, because Romans is, Romans is, we're going to get to Romans in a while, but Romans is called the Constitution of Christianity. It's one of the most brilliant theological works that's ever been written. 
in very complicated, very complicated Greek grammar, very complex sentence structure. Because even though the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, inspires the human author, the human author, his personal writing style and kind of his, you know, that's all preserved. So since Paul was such a brilliant guy, he wrote in very complicated Greek. As opposed to some of those guys who were kind of stupid, they wrote in, you know, minimum, simple sentences. Jesus got in the boat. Jesus got out of the boat. Jesus said to Peter, whereas Paul goes on and on in very flowery language. I don't speak Greek, but for those of you that do, if you read the Greek Old Testament, it's, it's New Testament, it's, it's pretty amazing how complicated the grammar is. So Galatians is kind of like Romans because it talks about the law. And it talks about what's happened now that the perfect sacrifice has been made. That Yeshua not only was the unblemished perfect sacrifice, but now sits at the right hand of the Father forever mediating for us. Like he tells Timothy, there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's no other mediators. The Tanakh, and if you've studied Torah, you know that there's all kind of types of this. Moses does it, and Joseph was one, and Aaron sometimes is, where they stand between God and the people, and they mediate. The people are being punished, and they say, well, wait. Oh, wait, 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 what about... And then mercy comes. Oh, wait, 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 what about this? And then mercy comes. Because they're types of Messiah. The Father looks at you and says, you're a horrible sinner and you deserve hell. But Yeshua at his right hand says, yes, but I died for him. And his sins are covered by my blood. And the Father says, oh, yes, of course. Come on in. So Galatians 3, we're going to go to. For if there had been a law given which would have given life, truly, righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise, what is that? A promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay, so if you could be saved by the law, you can be saved by the law. All you have to do is keep it. So who would be in heaven now? Some beautiful angels. And that's about it. And God would still be the God, the Lord God of hosts, but he, his, all his hosts would be angels. There would be no people there because no one has ever kept the law. So if you could be righteous by the law, yes, you'd earn your salvation. But he says, but the scripture tells us that everybody is under sin. Does it say there's some people that are under sin? Does it say, well, 10%? Does it say, well, you know, 80%? All, 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 all are confined under sin. But there's a promise coming about faith. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, our tutor, that we might be justified by faith. 
But after faith had come, we are no longer under a tutor. Tutor, the Greek word, I mean, I don't remember what it was now. I just saw it last night, but now I forgot. The Greek word that's used there was somebody who tutored children and then made sure that they got to some place where they were going. In other words, they were tutoring in class, but then they had tutoring at home. Rich people hired, rich Romans hired Greeks to tutor because the Romans loved the Greek philosophy and the Greeks were so educated. But then if the kids had to go somewhere for something, there was a tutor that would take them there. And that was a different word than general tutor for academic reasons. And so basically, another translation says, the law is the schoolmaster that drives you to the cross. The schoolmaster that drives you to the cross. Now, all of you have met Jesus at some time, and you say, I, I, I don't know what else to do. You know, I, I can understand now I'm a terrible sinner. I can understand now that I do the same sins over and over again. I, 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 you know, I try to be good. I can't be good. I really try to fix my life up. I can't fix my life up. You get driven to the cross because the law shows you what you are. The law is holy. The law is given by God. The law is not, you know, in most churches you go to, they make it sound like the law was some dirty trick that God used. No, the, God, the law is holy. The problem is not with the law. The problem is that we can't keep the law because we're defective. And so the law is the schoolmaster that drives you to the cross. So it talked about how this is promised. Well, there were promises made to Abraham, descendants, land. Okay, that's great. That applies to the people. That applies to the Hebrews. That applies to the Israelites. That applies to the Jews. Doesn't apply to us, except one of us. But doesn't apply to the rest of us that are Gentiles. But what was the last promise? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through a 75-year-old guy who lived in present-day Iraq, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That seems pretty unlikely. First of all, nations means Gentiles. Now, of course, Abraham, you can say, was the first Jew. But, of course, he was the beginning of the people. There weren't Jews and Gentiles for a while till Abraham's descendants built up. But through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of Yeshua, Jesus, who's his descendant, who's his, his important descendant. And this is why Abraham, I look at Abraham as our spiritual father. You know, if you have Jewish heredity, Abraham is your, in fact, biological ancestor. Now, if you're a 100% Gentile person from wherever, but you're a believer in Jesus, Abraham is your spiritual father. And you know, like we talked about, I think last week, the people always used were children of Abraham as their defense. And John the Baptist squelched that, and Yeshua himself squelched that. 
And even in Romans, Paul says, just because you're related to Abraham doesn't mean that you're saved, doesn't mean that you're wonderful. That's a biological connection. But if you're true Israel, not replacement theology, for those of you that know about that, there is no replacement theology, but your spiritual Israel, if you come to Yeshua and Abraham becomes your spiritual father, your father in faith, so to speak. So this foresees that there's going to be salvation by faith for the Gentiles because there was not law for the Gentiles. I mean, you take, you know, the, the Gentiles, like even in the biblical times, you take um, Cornelius, you know, the, the Jews called them God-fearers, righteous Gentiles, because they understood the God of Israel was, a, was the real God, and their 500 Roman gods, 500 Greek gods were nothing. They were images sitting on a table. But the law was not for them, because the law was for the people. So the faith had to come, the Gentiles had to come to salvation by faith, not by law. So it's, this is talking about the Messiah. And because Paul says it's a promise, a promise can't be voided. It can't not come true. And why is that? Because if God doesn't keep a promise, then what can you then you can't trust him for anything. If he changes his mind, ah, changed my mind. I didn't really mean that. Well, maybe he didn't, maybe he's going to change his mind about salvation. Maybe he's going to change his mind about any number of things. But he keeps his promises. He's a God who keeps his promises. So the promise can't be voided. And of course, it's confirmed in Messiah. Now, if the promise is based on law, then it's not a promise. It's something that you earned. If you keep the law, you will be saved. Yes. But the scripture says if you violate one, it's the same as violating them all. That's why Yeshua says, um, you grow angry with your brother, same as murder. You call your brother a fool, Raka. You deserve trial before the Sanhedrin and fire. You look at a woman with lust, you commit adultery without doing the act. And everybody goes, what, what, what are you talking about? Well, because all these things violate the law. And if you, once you violate one law, you're already condemned. So a promise that's based on law is not really a promise because then you would earn it if you kept the law. So what's the purpose of the law? It shows you what you are. It's a mirror that you look into. This is the standard of perfection, right? And there's 613 of them here in all the little teetsy, 613 of them. It's the standard of perfection, right? So you look at the law, you know, when you're wearing your talit, 
you know, your fingers should kind of run over these things and you start to think, well, I haven't really done a very good job with a lot of these things, yeah, but boy, I really can't stand up and say uh, I'm a righteous person because, man, I'm a disaster. The standard of perfection shows you that you're not perfect. And so it becomes like a mirror that you look at yourself in. Now, of course, some of the laws, you know, have to do with what if your ox gores your neighbor and, you know, those are kind of tough ones for us to really get involved with. <laughs> Where's Jordan? <clears throat> in fact, this week's Torah portion, which um, <laughs> is kind of interesting if you, if you read through it, it's all these laws about how you interact with people around you. Like if you borrow something from somebody and then you damage it, you know, you got to make restitution to the guy. Uh, you know, if you take one of his possessions and you lose it, you got to make restitution to the guy. You know, if your ox gores your neighbor, you got to pay for his medical expenses. <laughs> Unless, of course, they're on Medicaid or some. <laughs> but um, it, it, it's a mirror that shows you, it gives you knowledge of sin. It gives you knowledge of your predicament. This is all very well spelled out in Romans. It's a mirror. You look in the mirror. It shows you what your problems are, but it doesn't have a remedy for you. Either you obey it or you don't. It's a zero or a one. It's not, well, I kind of did it. I always like to use the example of those hypocrites uh, that were the religious leaders. And if you read Matthew 23, you see Yeshua does a really thorough job of calling them hypocrites and blind guides. And But when you look at the morning of the day we call Good Friday, you know, it specifically tells us in John's account, and I can't remember now if it's in any of the other accounts, that those guys would not step onto the pavement at the Praetorium, Pilate's headquarters, Pilate's judgment place. Because if they stepped on the pavement, they would be defiled. So they were standing and yelling to Pilate because they couldn't step on the stones there. So they were following the law that says don't have anything to do with Gentiles, but they said, we want that guy killed. But in their mind, they rationalized the whole thing. We're following the law. He doesn't. We're the holy guys. He's not. They didn't want to defile themselves, but they were plotting to murder somebody. So the law doesn't really have a remedy, and this is why the promise is by faith. The law can't change you. It doesn't change your personality. You know, if I stop for the red light, I'm obeying the law. If I go through the red light, I violate the law, and there's a punishment. But the law doesn't have a remedy for me if I'm rebellious and say, why should I have to stop for red lights? 
Well, maybe the ticket would do that. But anyway, so the promise is by faith. It says after faith, we don't need a tutor anymore because Romans 8 says after we come to Jesus, we're children of God. We're adopted sons and daughters. The spirit, capital S, comes into our spirit, little s, and we cry out, Abba, Daddy. We become adopted sons and daughters when we come to Yeshua. You know, the old saying, God doesn't have grandchildren. He just has sons and daughters. I remember many years ago, I always have to tell this story. I remember many years ago, I wasn't a believer. And we're not going to talk about politics. But there was a certain Greek guy who was influential in a certain administration. And he was on one of the talk shows. And he said, well, you know... My father is a Greek Orthodox priest, and his father was a Greek Orthodox priest. So I don't have anything to worry about. And I thought to myself, I think it works that way. <laughs> it's like, are you God's great-grandson? <laughs> I don't think it works that way. And, of course, it doesn't. But now, as adopted children, we're not slaves anymore. Paul talks about the bondage to law. We don't have the bondage to the law. It doesn't mean that we live licentiously, we can do whatever we want. And there are crazy people preaching that now, even saying, oh, well, Ten Commandments, that's part of the law. Oh, really? So I could steal, commit adultery, lie, bear, you know, blaspheme, and everything's cool? I call that skating on thin ice. <laughs> but anyway, where's Jordan? Nobody's laughing at my jokes. So we're not slaves anymore. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you come to the Messiah, you're covered by the last promise to Abraham, which is all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You come to Messiah, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, if you're a Greek, you know, Greek's a general term for Gentiles. But it doesn't matter if you're Swedish, if you're Bolivian, if you're Chinese. No matter where you're from, you all are in Christ, and if you are, you're Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. Right? Now, I always go back to the Gentile towns that all of those guys went into. I always use Paul as an example because he's my hero. But they all did it. Not just the apostles, but all the evangelists who went around the world. They were 99% Jews at the beginning. But when a Jewish evangelist went into a Gentile pagan city, and like I always tell you, those people had no clue who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were, nor did they care. They had no clue that the Jews were waiting for a Messiah, nor did they care. Nobody got up in the morning and said, gee, I hope somebody comes today, tells us about the Jewish Messiah. We've been No, they could have cared less. They didn't know what was going on in the temple in Jerusalem, and they could have cared less. But they listen to somebody talk, they come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, and are admitted to the promise.
really quite amazing. Or am I the only one who thinks this is awesome? This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. <clears throat> but if the ministry, now this is 2 Corinthians 3, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? If you could look at the written law on scrolls, on stone tablets, and there was glory to that, how much more glorious is, is ministry in the Spirit? How much more glorious is salvation in Messiah being filled with the Holy Spirit and living your life in the Spirit rather than the flesh, living your life in grace rather than bondage to a law? How did I do today? I don't know. I, I think I did pretty good. Yeah, I called that guy a moron, but he is a moron. Oh, no, now I just violated another law. But tomorrow I'm going to do better. Because <laughs> if you're in bondage to the law, that's how you have to think. I better not step on Pilate's pavement here, or else I can't go to the synagogue tomorrow. I can't go to the temple tomorrow. But I want that guy killed. But what he's saying here is, now we're in the ministry of the Spirit, and how much more glorious is that? Have you been watching this revival that's broken out in um, Wilmore, Kentucky, at Asbury College? It's pretty awesome. Started the morning of February 8th at 10 o'clock, and it's still going, 24 hours a day. And what I like best, and I, I'm thinking about going down there, but that's, of course, another story. I think it'd be awesome to go. But it's revival starts with confession of sin and repentance and eliminating your pride so that the Holy Spirit can act. And if you're familiar with this, you know they had a normal chapel service that morning of February 8th. And this guy got out and did a teaching. And it wasn't particularly an exciting teaching. He didn't say like, oh, later today, the Holy Spirit's going to fall here and all this. He gave a kind of an ordinary talk. And he said, okay, well, have a nice day. And he started to walk off the platform. And one young man who was sitting near the front ran up and knelt down in front of the platform and said, I'm a sinner and I want to repent. I want to confess my sins and I want to repent. I want to repent of my sins. And then a couple more guys and a couple of more people and a couple of more kids came up. And it started a prayer meeting that's still going on now. Tomorrow will be day 10. And people started to praise and sing and pray in tongues. And I mean, it, it, we'll see how it shakes out. But the ministry of the Spirit is so much more glorious. Now, why is the law called the ministry of death? Because if you violate it, you're dead. Not the case with grace. We were just talking before we started, you know, that how David is always an encouragement for me, you know. 
because God uses David, even though the guy's kind of a creep. The stuff he does, he's a creep. But, you know, um, Samuel anoints him, and it says the Holy Spirit rushed on David and never departed. Wow, that sounds great. God says, David is a man after my own heart. Wow. So here's a guy who's a, a man after God's own heart. The Spirit falls on him and never leaves. He must be walking around with a halo around his head and his hands folded and being like two feet off the ground. No, he was an adulterer, a murderer, a complainer, a deceiver, but he wrote the Psalms, but he worshiped, wanted to build the temple, becomes the direct ancestor of the Messiah, who's the son of David. He was used in such mighty ways, even though if you hung out with him, you'd say, man, this guy's a womanizer and a thief and a doesn't look like somebody who's a man after God's own heart. You know, Peter denies him three times to a servant girl, not to a soldier, not to the high priest, to a young girl who can't possibly harm him, denies the Lord. Jesus has to ask him, do you love me? You know, it goes through different forms of love. We'll do that some other time. But finally, he, Jesus comes down to Peter's level and says, okay, I'll, I'll work with the love you do have. You don't have the love I have and that we've been talking about, but okay, we'll work with this brotherly love thing of yours. Yeah, you said I'm cool to hang out with and I'm like a brother to you. Okay, we'll work with that. It's encouraging to us, right? So, So the law discovers sin. You know that there's condemnation, and you know that there's going to be wrath, and God is against you. Kind of sums up what the law does. Remember, all through Torah, if you keep my law, I will be your God, you will be my people. Let's get a new leader and go back to Egypt. Everything the Lord does will do, says will do. Oh, next day, let's pick a new leader and go back to Egypt. We're sick of this manna. We want donuts. We want Burger King. We want something other than this manna. <clears throat> so covenant is broken when you break the law. That's the covenant. But the gospel brings grace. Why? Because it's true forgiveness. The law had covering of sin. The lamb's blood was a covering. The bull, the blood of bulls and goats, like the writer to the Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away your sin. It's a symbol for what's going to come. It's a prefigurement of what's going to come. His blood, capital H, capital B, has infinite power to forgive sin. So the sin isn't just covered, isn't just kind of atoned for. It's forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, I put your transgressions from you. I've buried him in the deepest part of the ocean not to remember them. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Those are all Old Testament prophecies. And they pointed to Yeshua. 
Your sins are like scarlet. David wrote, if you count iniquities, then who can stand? Right? God has a list of every sin you've committed, right? It's no secret to him. So if you died right now and he unrolled the thing and said, man, you're a disaster. You haven't gone more than two days without doing something. Look, you started here. You were two years old. (laughs) So true forgiveness comes through the gospel because, of course, it's unmerited favor. Because we have Emmanuel God with us. Isaiah says, the virgin's going to conceive and bear a son in the name of Emmanuel, God with us. It's even translated in case there's a question about what it means. Because it meant that the God-man was coming, born of a virgin, who was going to be God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he was going to be the full forgiveness through faith. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, then the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. The law was glorious. But the sacrifice of the cross, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, is way more glorious. Who can imagine such a thing? Moses Moses can't see the glory of God. Because nobody can see his glory and live. You walked by that little place, wherever it was in Bethlehem, and you saw little baby Yeshua, who was an hour old. You saw the full glory of God. How do we know that? Because Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus of Nazareth. You saw the glory Paul couldn't see. They couldn't stand listening to the big voice and the thundering on the mountain. So we can't deal with this. Please, we can't deal with this. God talked to Moses. Moses could talk to us. Now the God-man talks with the voice of a man and says God's word in a way that we can understand and process. So the law had condemnation. Now we have grace. So our righteousness by faith is revealed. We should try to keep the law. The law is holy. The Ten Commandments are still the Ten Commandments. If an ox gores my neighbor, I still have to make some kind of restitution. (laughs) I try to keep my oxen penned in, though, so. (laughs) It's a tough crowd. So what was passing away had glory, but now there's no comparison. Because the gospel's always eternal, always fresh. And it's always glorious. The gospel has been saving people since the day of the cross, right? And if Jesus doesn't come back for another 50 years, it's not going to be 50. I don't know if it's even going to be 50 months. But if he doesn't come back for 50 years, the gospel's still going to be saving people. If he doesn't come back for 1,000 years, the gospel's still going to be saving people. It's always fresh. It's always eternal. And it's always glorious.
Why is it glorious? Because you get something that you don't deserve. Oh, I go to church on Sunday. I go, I go probably 50 times a year. Oh, God's really impressed with that. Wow, you went 50 times? Wow, you're so awesome. I, I don't even know what to say. He's not impressed. Our good works are like a pile of filthy rags. Oh, I gave the homeless guy a dollar. Oh, wonderful. You know, Second Corinthians, Paul talks about how he's beaten with rods, he's stoned, he's shipwrecked, he's left for dead, he's attacked by Jews, he's attacked by Gentiles. He's cold, he's hot, he doesn't have food, has food. And what do we have? Well, I'd like to go to church today, but it's raining. I'd like to go to church today, but my foot hurts. Oh, I'd like to go to church today, but I'm going to my grandson's soccer game. Shipwrecked, beaten with rods, stoned, left for dead, finally beheaded. Our brothers and sisters in Africa are being slaughtered. Our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are being hung on crosses. And we're here whining about every little thing. Makes me sick. <clears throat> Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. What? Obviously not living in the 21st century. We have no boldness of speech. We're afraid to say boo to anybody. In case we offend them, in case it's not politically correct, in case we don't want to confront sin, in case we don't want to tell people what the remedy for their sin is, because after all, we worry about their self-esteem. They're going to think I'm crazy. Paul says, because we have this hope, we have boldness of speech. So Moses had to put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. They covered themselves from Moses, but they had no clue what they were doing. They were rebelling every other page of Torah. For until this day, now this is in Paul's time, until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. When you come to Yeshua, then you understand the scripture. When you come to Yeshua, then the Holy Spirit comes on you, lives in you, and then you understand the scripture. Then you understand the plan of salvation. Then you understand who you are. Then you understand how you were redeemed. And then you're happy to do the good works. Because you're doing it for him. So when you come to Christ, the veil's taken away. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. So you go tonight to an Arab Shabbat service at an Orthodox synagogue. They're reading the scriptures. They got a veil over their heart. We're not going to read Isaiah 52, 53. Because nobody understands it. And we say, I can explain it to you. No, we'd be scared to say that. <laughs> so the veil's taken away. So in the new covenant, we don't veil our faces. 
because the gospel's clear. Who Jesus is, what he claims, who he claims to be, what he came to do, what he did, and why he did it. It's all clear. Well, well, you know, the gospel means you be nice to everybody and you go to work and you take care of your kids and, you know, go to church, you know, most of the time, try to do the best you can. No, the gospel is he came and died for you. The gospel is you have no way to save yourself. Because either you pay the penalty or he pays the penalty. Either you have the veil or you come to him and he removes the veil and you say, oh. The night I met Jesus, I felt like a hundred pound rock got taken off my shoulders. I never felt like that in my life. I was almost 45 years old. Then you say, ah, oh, why didn't I know this before? I used to pray, Lord, why didn't you do this when I was 24 instead of 44? <laughs> My life would have been a lot different, but wasn't wasn't the time. So the revelation's complete, because now we see the old covenant, we see its purpose, we see its types and shadows, because the veil's taken away. We see why there's so much blood. We see why there's mediators, because everything's pointing to him. John 5, 39, all the scripture testifies of me. What scripture did he have? The Old Testament. The Bereans said, we're going to check everything you say, Paul. What scripture did they have? The Old Testament. He tells Timothy, you've studied the scripture since your infancy, and it makes you wise, and et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. What scripture did he have? The Old Testament. When he says the scripture testifies of me, he's talking about Torah and the prophets and the writings. He's not talking about the gospels and the book of Acts and the epistles. He doesn't give a sermon where he says, well, you know, in about 20 more years, Paul's going to write this letter that I want you guys to make sure you're going to read it because it's going to explain all this. So we shouldn't listen with veils over our hearts because that prevents understanding and revelation because we've come to him and the veil's taken away. Now we see clearly. Yes, no, we see clearly. Veils are about separation. They blind your mind. There's a spirit. Now we have a spirit of adoption, not bondage. And as he says in Romans, we have a righteousness apart from the law. Satan hates this. Because Satan's the great accuser of the brethren, right? He has access to God somehow, and he says, huh, you think Fred over there is following you? Did you see what he just did an hour ago? The guy's a disaster. Then he says to Fred, you're a Christian? You're following Jesus? Look what you just did an hour ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll hang it up. He's the accuser of the brethren. So Satan hates this concept of grace. Law, you're not doing very well. Law, 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 you're not doing very well. He doesn't say grace, grace, grace. You can be forgiven. <laughs> Hello? <clears throat> 
Now the, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're being transformed into glory. We're not earning our way to glory. We're not trying to do the best we can. We're not going to say, I've done a terrible job of keeping the law, but I'm going to hope for the best. It doesn't work that way. <clears throat> we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be found guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the, of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All the world is guilty. Romans chapter 1, every man is without excuse. And this is the best, Romans 3. But now, 20 and 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. A righteousness apart from the law is revealed. But this was talked about by Moses and the prophets. In that chapter in John, Yeshua says, if you guys, you guys believe Moses, that's great. But if you believe Moses, you would listen to me. You would believe me because Moses wrote of me. But people say, I don't like to study Torah. I don't like to study any of that Old Testament stuff. It's so boring. It writes of him. So righteousness apart from the law. Not in bondage. Not earning. But because of love, salvation is put out as a free gift, as unmerited favor. Do you have to do something? Yes, you have to accept it. You have to cooperate. It doesn't just, even though his blood has infinite power to forgive sin, it doesn't mean that everybody is saved because he died. Because some people, most people, the vast majority of people will reject it. And you know, there's so many places in, especially Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where God basically says, what more could I have done for you? What more could I have done for you? What did I do that caused you to turn on me? I delivered you. I gave you bread. I gave you stuff. I gave you all these provisions. He brought Messiah to die for you. What more could he have done? Oh, I don't believe any of that crap. I was with people on their deathbed who said, I don't believe any of that crap. And then they died. I used to just go, oh, I used to get sick to my stomach. And then I used to look at the body and 
five seconds after the person died and say, I wonder what they're experiencing right now. I mean, it's too horrible to even think about. So as we come to Passover, we're going to talk about deliverance from sin, deliverance from slavery. This is what it's about. Well, okay, since we went too long, as usual. 